The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Thank you, uh, worship team. So good to be reminded of those things. You know, we, we, we think of those things, we know those things, but um, in a world that seems chaotic at times, it's, it's, it's good to be reminded. Uh, well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus 13, uh, we'll look this, this morning, Lord willing, at verses 17 through 22, uh, Exodus 13, 17 through 22, and uh, today, the, the sermon, I've titled it, Which Way From Here? You ever been lost? I mean, you're, this time of year, how, how many of you have gone to a corn maze this time of year? Yeah, a few of you. You ever gotten lost in one of those things? I'm ashamed and embarrassed to admit that I did one time. And, and, and I realize it's more common than, than I think. But there's a moment of panic that sits in when you're in the middle of that thing. And you've tried for the last 15 minutes to find your way out. And, and you're about to start hacking this, this maze up and just pay the price for it later on. Uh, I get a little claustrophobic and, and that was me. Well, today we're going to look at not a corn maze, but God is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt after all these years, 430 years, held captive as slaves, used as free labor, and, uh, and really just abused and oppressed, and God is leading them out. And they, for the past several weeks, uh, we, we've looked at the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Greg uh, did a great job for us last week. Uh, the purpose uh, of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the reason why God instituted those was to cause them to look back, was to, to cause them to remember what he had done to deliver them. Um, we, we repeat today the Lord's Supper uh, in the same vein, to re- remember, to look back at what God has done. And Greg reminded us last week, a simple statement that he made, how quickly we forget. And isn't it true how quickly we forget what Christ has done and who we are in Christ. Uh, And we need these reminders. And the the meals to this point, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, have been about looking back. But today is about looking forward. Today is about them realizing that they would not simply be called to stay where they were and look back and remember, but to move, to move out, to move forward. We've got to realize today as a church that Like them, we also, as believers, as followers of Christ, are called not to be stationary, not simply to look back and celebrate what he he has done in our lives, but to strike out and to follow him in obedience and and in missional engagement and engaging our culture with the gospel and, and pursuing him as we want to grow in holiness. We're called to move forward. We've got to realize that we do look back and we remember, but we are called to go forward. And this morning, this passage is so about that. And I want us right here to to just take a few minutes and just look at how we go from here. How do we go? How do we determine when God is leading us and where God is leading us? There are some things that are plain in Scripture that he calls us to, and we don't have to question those, but there are sometimes other decisions that are not written anywhere in the pages of this book. And we've got to make a decision and 
about what job to take or about this person or, or that person or whatever the case may be, and we don't know. And so how do we follow the Lord? I want to give that to you today, and it will come straight out of this text together. So let's look at Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of, of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the, toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, and for, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from Sukkoth and, and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This morning, I want to give you just three simple points out of this. And the first of which is this, God's way is always the best way. God's way is always the best way. I want you to notice here that when they, when they leave from Egypt, heading off toward the promised land, God's way is the best way, but it may not always be the most direct way. It may not always be the shortest way. Here, specifically, the text tells us that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, even though that was near. Historians tell us that if they would have gone that way, they could have been to the land of promise in about two weeks. Instead, they, they wander around the wilderness for 40 years, and part of that's because they sinned against God and an, an entire generation had to die off. But notice, before any of that takes place, God leads them out in a long way. And sometimes we think that, that God must lead us in the direct way or the shortest way. That's the best way, but it's not always God's way. Notice also, it may not be the shortest way, but it is the most compassionate way. It's always the most compassionate way. For, for God said here in the text, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. See, God led the children of Israel out of Egypt knowing where they are, knowing where they were and what they were ready for. There's a reason the Bible uses sheep as a metaphor for God's people. Uh, we're, we're called sheep in the Bible because we have a tendency toward fear. And we have a tendency toward discouragement. Do we not? Uh, we're, we're quickly called to those things. We're, we're quickly finding ourselves in the middle of fear and discouragement. And God knows this. We will quickly wander off and return to the things that threaten us as soon as following God gets hard. God knows that this about us, that we are like sheep, prone to fear, prone to discouragement, prone to wander. And so God leads us graciously, sparing us from the things that are not on the agenda for us yet. You see, God knows what we are ready for. Could God have led them straight for two weeks through the land of the Philistines and destroyed all the Philistines for them and brought them into the land of Canaan? Absolutely he could have. He's just displayed this in the plagues. 
He's just done 10 plagues where he has just shown his power, his sovereignty over Egypt. So the Philistines would have been nothing. The, the Philistines were a great army, but they were not Egypt. God knows what we are ready for. He knows what we're not ready for. And he graciously leads us exactly where he calls us to go in his plan. Chapter 14, verse 11 and 12 says that they said to Moses, I just want to show you their their tendency toward fear and discouragement and ready to return. In, In chapter 14, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of, out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And sometimes we can be in the middle of a wilderness situation thinking, God, you've messed up. You, you, why did you bring me out here? Did you bring me out here to die? Was it not okay that I just die over there? Why do I need to suffer in the middle of this? And and we say this to God, just like they said it to Moses. Chapter in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, gives us a story of of their journey in, in the wilderness. And it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. See, the tendency of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness after God has displayed his greatness and leading them out is the same tendency that you and I have. As soon as it gets hard... We will quickly retreat and go back to the things that we know that are comfortable to us, even though they may threaten us or oppress us. And here the Israelites had gotten to the place where they said, not just it would have been better to die in Egypt, but even die in this wilderness. By the time they get to the end of the wilderness, they're content to stay there rather than to go forward and to fight a battle and to die by an enemy sword. You and I don't have to worry that God is one day going to make a big enough mistake in where he leads us to or where he sends us into or where he has us at the moment. He's not going to make so big a mistake that it's going to cause us to lose our faith. God knows where we are. God knows where we are in our walk with him. And he's never going to make that mistake where, where he gives us a certain trial and he allows us to lose our faith in the process. I want to remind you that at the end of or nearing the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, when he's praying that prayer in John 17, then in John 18, verse 9, he's able to make the statement, I lost none of them that you gave me. If, If Jesus can say at the end of his ministry, walking with those 12, he says, I lost none except for Judas, who really was never one of them. I lost none that you gave me, so God really just gave him the 11. Why do we think that if if Jesus was so committed to them then that he's going to be less committed to us today? We get in the middle of a situation and we think, God, how could you have me here? Do you not know what's going on? And in the end, 
child of God, let me say to you with all the encouragement I can, you will never hear Jesus say, I kept most of them. He will even in the end be able to say to the Father, I have lost none of them that you gave to me. God filters the trials that come to you so that nothing will ever be so terrible to take your faith away. It will not be, it will, your, your faith will not fall by the sword. As they said there in the book of Numbers, it will not become a prey. Your faith will, will be sustained. One of the greatest truths that you can ever wrap your mind around as a child of God, as a believer, as a Christian, is that it's not so much you clinging to God as much as it is Him clinging to you. Even the the strength to cling to Him, even the strength to believe and to pursue Him is given to you by Him. God is clinging to you and He will not lose those who are His. When we begin to murmur against God that he has led us into a trial that we can't handle, we're wrong. Because in that trial, no matter what it is, God has ordained that it be so. And God has ordained that we walk through it. Now you say, but wait wait a minute, what about about the consequences of my own sinful choices? Well, yes, you're going to experience some of those sinful consequences But if you're just living your life and you're finding yourself in the middle of something hard and gritty and ugly and the consequences of sin, maybe not your own, but the consequences of living in a sinful, fallen, broken world have invaded your life and wrapped its tentacles around you, when you stop and think, God, you don't know what you're doing, you're wrong. The Bible teaches that God knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. That he feeds them all. They don't don't worry about saving up for the winter and, and having to go out and make extra because this winter is going to be rough. God feeds them. God, in the middle of whatever trial you're going through, says, trust me. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly where you are. I'm mindful that you are but dust. But let me remind you that I display my greatness through dust. I speak and call dust to planets, stars, and birds of the sky and fish of the sea. In fact, it wasn't even speaking and calling dust to those things. It was God speaking and nothing becoming those things. Even the dust that you wipe off your feet as you enter into your mother's house was brought to existence by the very word of God. So when you think, God, you don't know where I am, trust him. It may not always make sense. It's not the most direct route, but it's also sometimes doesn't make sense. God's way is always the best way, but it doesn't always make sense on the surface. Notice that when God leads them the long way, he leads them away from battle with the Philistines and takes them the long way, but he leads them to the Red Sea. Well, any military strategist would tell you it makes absolutely no sense knowing that there is a potential army pursuing you to wall yourself in and leave yourself no escape route. 
This makes no sense on the surface. Why would God do this? And then we're going to find out later on, probably next week, that, that God is doing this intentionally in order to, again, harden Pharaoh's heart and cause him to change his mind one last time and bring that army out of Egypt to meet their death in that Red Sea. No commander would ever do this. It doesn't make sense on the surface. And perhaps you're up against something in your own life. And God may be calling you to to some action. I heard a brother this morning in in my Sunday school class share a story of how God was calling him to obedience in a way that made absolutely no sense to him. But that when he was obedient, God brought him from that and produced a beautiful thing. While they would eventually have to fight and enter the land, the Bible here says in the passage I read to you that they, they went out armed for battle. And it really what that really means is not so much that they had arms at that moment. It's, it's a word that means they went out kind of divided into troops. It was how they numbered themselves. And while they, they would eventually have to fight to enter the land, one of the reasons God is leading them here in a way that makes absolutely no sense is because God would once again fight on their behalf. He would eventually train and equip them. He would eventually prepare them to be able to fight. But this time, he knows they're not quite ready yet. And I've got to do some work with them. And I've had to train them. And so I'm going to bring them once again to a place where it looks like things are absolutely beyond repair. And I will come through in such a way that they will glorify me. Psalm chapter 144, verses 1 and 2, David wrote, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Notice that in that passage, David is thankful for God training him for battle, but also that God is his shield. That God is his victory. And child of God, we need to be reminded that in the middle of whatever situation we are in, sometimes God is going to so fight for us that we don't have to lift an effort. And in the middle of it, he's often training us so that sometimes when it does call for our effort joining with him, we will follow him and pursue him and trust him even though he allows us to take a bigger role in the battle. You may be in the middle of something that seems so droning to you. It's going on and on. And you think, when will this ever end And I would just encourage you as your pastor, trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. You may be in the middle of something that doesn't make any sense. And you think, God, are you sure? I'm not sure that I can do that. Perhaps there's a coworker that you sense God's leading you to have a conversation with about the gospel. But you're afraid that your, your coworker will be offended and it will cause this big rift between you. And you're afraid of what your company may say as well. But all along the way, God is saying, no, trust me. Bring it up. Have the conversation. I'm not telling you this is what God is saying, but, but perhaps this is what you're wrestling with and sensing. Even though it doesn't make sense on the outside, and you could give all the reasons as to why you should not obey, I'm going to encourage you to trust God anyway. To trust him to, to fight for you in the middle of that, and trust that in the middle of that, he's also training you. For future battles. 
It may not be the, the way that you would have chosen for yourself, but I want to encourage you to trust God because God's way is always the best way. The second point is this in this passage, and it seems to be kind of out of place. There's this sort of just verse that jumps in the middle of this passage, and you're like, what is that about? Verse 19 where Moses takes the bones of Joseph with him, and Joseph had, had made the sons of Israel swear, saying You'll, they would take his bones out of the land. And the second point is this. God prom, God's promises are sure along the way. God's way is always the best way, and God's promises are sure along the way. If we want to find out what this verse means, we have to sort of trace the historical timeline. We go back from this. Where is this promise made? We're told here in this passage that, that Joseph made the sons of Israel swear. Well, where's that? Well, we go back to Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph was, was obviously counting on God to, to visit them and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But why? Is, is, is Joseph here just concerned about where he's buried or is there something bigger? Where does he get this idea that God will visit and deliver them out? Well, we follow again the biblical timeline, the historical timeline, Genesis chapter 15. Verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the, in the land, in a land that is not their, their own, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. See, Joseph is not simply just concerned about, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. It's just a lot of sand here. I don't, I don't want to be buried here. I want to be buried somewhere else. This is not the concern of Joseph. Joseph is clinging to the promise that God made in the beginning. Joseph is looking forward to God delivering on that promise. What Joseph is doing is exercising faith. That by faith, even though it hadn't happened yet, and even though he couldn't see it because he wasn't there yet, he believed God. And he said, when God delivers on his promise, take my bones from here to the land that he will give you. And by doing this, Joseph is exercising faith and he's identifying with the people of God. Just as you saw this morning when Bob and Sarah and Casey went through those waters. They're exercising faith and identifying with the people of God. Hebrews, we, we know this from Hebrews chapter 11, that we, we went backwards into the historical timeline, and then we look forward to see how the New Testament treats this event. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 said, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He was counting on and looking forward to what God would do. One of the hardest things to do in the middle of a trial is to cling to the promises of God. Is it not? In the middle of a trial, it's hard to cling to those. It's hard to remember those. 
It's hard to, to, to remember the, the things that he said he would do. It's, it's hard to, to hold on to the things that he says are true. Because the appearances at the moment are so different. The obvious parallel here with Joseph having his bones taken out so that he would be included and brought into a promised land, the obvious parallel is that one day God promises us heaven. And we wait for that promise. We wait for him to deliver on that promise. God promised to bring us to heaven, and and one day he will keep that promise. If, If we believe that, it changes the way we live here and now. If, if you and I believe that this world is not all there is and there is a world to come where not only will he take us to heaven, but actually he's going to bring heaven to us, then it changes the way we live. It changes the pursuits we have in this life. The, all of a sudden, the, the huge flat screen TV doesn't seem so important. The, the bigger, nicer car is not the pursuit of your life. Moving up in your company is not the most important thing on your agenda. All of a sudden, when when heaven is real, you begin to live for that, and you exercise faith by saying, nothing wrong with the TV and the car and the job, but I will not put those before my God. I will enjoy those as good and gracious gifts from God, but I will also leverage and use what God places into my hands to make much of him. I will live for not this world, but for the next. Beyond the parallel of heaven is the truth about our identity in Christ. It's so easy to believe the the lies from Satan and the lies of our culture. It's so easy, maybe in the the life of a teenager, to begin to, to think they're not what they are. And to begin to think that everyone around them is, is saying these things about them behind their back and laughing at them and making fun of them. And, and it's so easy for them to forget that the Bible says that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knew them when they were in the womb and God has designed them. That's so why we sing songs like we do here. There's a song we've been singing the past couple of weeks that says, Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. You tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. We sing those songs to remind ourselves that there are certain things that are true and there are certain things that are not. And we must cling to the promises of God in the same way that Joseph said to his sons, to his brothers, the sons of Israel, bring my bones out of this place because there is a land that is promised that is not here yet. We cling to the promises of God, those things that he says that are true about us. He's a good, good father. Regardless of what's going on around you, he's a good father. You're loved by him, regardless of how it appears at the moment. Cling to those promises. And third and last in this passage this morning, in verses 20 through 22, God is present to guide his people every step of the way. God's way is always the best way. His promises are sure along the way, and he is present with us to guide us every step of the way. 
Verses 20 through 22, they, they begin to move out. They encamp at Etham. Um, the, the Lord goes before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them so that they would know how to proceed, how to go forward. Not only does God know the best way, he personally goes with his people to get them there, to ensure that they will get all the way there every step of the way. This is, in, in the Bible, this is what's known as a theophany. It's, a, it's sort of a, a personal appearance of God manifested in something else. What looks like only a cloud is actually the very presence of God himself. That's why the text here says, the Lord went before them in this pillar of cloud. It's the Lord that's with them. It's the Lord that's guiding them. It's not, it's not simply a cloud that's in the sky. It's this random cloud. And, and as some try to discount the Bible, try to say that they were superstitious and, and following these clouds that would appear in this part of the world. This is God himself going with his people and going before his people and stopping when his people needed to stop. God was actually training them to, to follow by teaching them to look to the cloud. If it moved, then they moved. If it stayed put, then they stayed put. And since the cloud represents God himself, they're learning not to look to the cloud. They're learning to look to God. That they would no longer look inwardly to themselves or to those around them, but they would look to God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. See, what God is doing here is he's personally leading them. For 40 years, he's leading them, but he's also training them and disciplining them to look to him, to look to his presence, to guide them. They were not to move unless he moved. Again, if if he moved, then they moved. If he stayed, then they stayed. They didn't eat until he provided we sometimes think, man, it would be nice if God did that today. And I've got this issue in front of me, and I don't know what to decide. I don't know where to go. It sure would be nice if God all of a sudden would put a pillar of cloud in the, in the sky for me, and he would, he would just begin to move, and I, I would just follow it like that CarMax commercial where the line appears there on the pavement, and they just begin to follow it, and all of a sudden they wind up at CarMax. Wouldn't this be nice? God, which school should I go to? Oh, let me follow the cloud. We think, boy, this would be so nice. If God would only do that, then I would never mess up. I would never get lost. I would always be where God would have me to be. And the reality is we would not. The reality is God could put a giant cloud in the sky with our name on it and make it flash and buzz and ring and everything else, and there would be times when we'd wander off from it. We would get distracted by the shiny things of this world and we would chase after all sorts of other things. 
We would convince ourselves, even in, even in the middle of following this cloud that was God's presence, and we would say, if, I, if, if God did that, I would follow that. Even, even then, we would say, but this over here looks so satisfying, and I think if I just pursued it for just a little while, man, it would just make my life complete. Don't we do that? Don't we chase after these things and think, this time it will be different. This time, this time it will satisfy my soul. And the reality is it doesn't. It never does. Did you know that didn't being a child and Christmas teach you anything? If, if you only had that toy and you get that toy and it lasts about a week or two weeks and all of a sudden there's a new toy you want. You don't grow out of that. You become an adult and the toys just change. We wouldn't follow God perfectly if God put a giant cloud in the sky, and that's why Jesus came. There's a reference in that passage I just read to man shall not live live by bread alone, and it reminds us this is what Jesus answered to Satan in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus followed where they failed. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus perfectly went, even when it got hard. Even even when it was going to include testing in the wilderness, tempting in the wilderness, Jesus follows. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He, He doesn't eat until God says eat. He waits for God. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I mean, he has the power to make it all right there. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the, man, from the, from the word of God. See, Jesus is not pointing us to a dusty old book. Jesus is pointing us to what this book is. It is the word of God. That Jesus would so follow God's way because he knew it was the best way. And he would submit himself to it. And he would not allow himself to be distracted by shiny things or, or think, well, that would satisfy me. Even in the garden at the end, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done, Father. By trusting, for us, by trusting Jesus, we receive something that's better than a cloud. We receive what the cloud represented to them, only on a much more intimate scale to us. The Bible teaches that throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would visit people and leave. The Holy Spirit would come and and, and speak, and he would leave. But we're told in the New Testament that when Jesus died on the cross, was placed into a tomb, came out of that grave, ascended to his father, he said to his disciples, if I go away, I'll ask the father and he'll send a helper to you. And he will not only come to you, he will abide in you. You and I don't have to look to the sky to look for a cloud to guide us because if we are believers, the spirit of God lives within us. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, directs His people. 
Knowing that his way is always the best way. His promises are there and they are true all along the way. And he is with us to guide us every step of the way. Aren't you thankful for the gospel and the gift God has given to the believer? I don't know where you are today in in your pursuit and your walk with the Lord, but if you're in the middle of some trial and you're thinking, gosh, I just don't know. I don't know if I can hang on. I just want to challenge you to trust God because he knows what he's doing. I I want to just remind you that his promises are sure. And, and, And along the way, you're going to have to, we all are going to have to preach the truth to ourselves It's important that we gather together. It's important to be in this room together each week, not just for the preaching or not just for the singing, but for the whole thing. We gather together as God's people in this room and we make this a priority so that we say, God, I need your word. I need you to remind me of who I am and who you are and what you've called me to help me to believe your promises. It's important that we walk with him through the week and we open his word and we open it not to check some box or not to just do a devotion and feel more spiritual than someone around us, but we open his word and we say, God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we look to God and we say, God, speak to me. God, take me from where I am. Guide me, God. I want to remind you as a believer that God goes with you to guide you. Stop looking within. Stop following your your heart. One of the worst pieces of of advice you'll ever get is someone telling you, well, follow your heart. Have we not learned anything in our lives? Our hearts lead us to wicked places. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Our hearts without, without the grace of God applied through Christ. Our hearts will lead us away from him every time. And even after the fact, that, even after we're saved, our hearts from time to time will will lead us into things that we know we shouldn't go into. Our hearts will say, I won't hurt this one time. Our hearts will say things like, well, look around at everybody else. Everybody else is doing it. Our hearts will say things like, you work hard, you deserve it. Don't follow your heart. Stop following your heart. Stop stop taking your your cues from the culture and start actively looking to God to guide you. Pray and ask him to guide you. Ask him to keep you close to him. Ask you to, to show you where to go from here. I believe he will do it. I know he'll do it. Trust him along the way. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your presence in my life. God, that even at times when I feel alone and when I feel so distant from you, God, I thank you that you never leave me. You never forsake me. God, I thank you that that's true of every believer in this room. God, I pray right now for your grace in the midst of whatever situation someone's going through. God, that you, even now, as we respond to your word, 
Would God give them the power to trust you? Grace them with the ability to follow you. Help them to believe the right things. Help us as a church to to preach the gospel to one another and to ourselves. And God, I thank you that you are with us. You'll take us all the way home. Lord, whatever you want to do, God, here, we know your way is always the best way. So God, please lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here and and God has begun to lead you now. Maybe you're here and and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus at all. You don't know him as anything but maybe a historical man or a good teacher or this figure of the church. Maybe you know a lot of things about him, but you don't know him personally. I would like to invite you to turn from yourself and to place your trust in Jesus and his sacrifice for you alone. The Bible says that when you call on him, that you'll be saved, that he will move into you, the Holy Spirit will move into your life, and he will become a guide for you. The, the scripture teaches us that he, one of his jobs is to lead us into all truth. And maybe even now, you're experiencing the leading of God, even though you don't yet know him, because he's leading you to himself. If you'd like to talk about that, I'm going to be down here on the front row. Love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to pray with you. Love to just help you any way that I can. Maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of a situation and it's been so tempting to not trust God. Maybe today you just need to spend some time on your knees. We would open up this, this, these steps up here as sort of a, an, an altar where you could come and just pray and just ask God for the strength to follow him, to trust him. There will be people in a prayer room out these doors that you can go and they're not going to judge. They're, they're, they're simply going to listen and pray with you. They're not there to counsel you. You're not signing up for anything. They're just brothers and sisters who say, let me shoulder the load with you. Let's take this to God. Maybe you're here and this is the church God is leading you to and you want to join this church. Whatever the case may be, however God is leading you, if I can be of assistance to you, be glad to do it. But trust him, follow him. Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.